Coming up on this week's episode of Alex's Fun Little Podcast, it is the season one finale. Going to be doing a little more in-depth get to know me, the TLDR on all things Alex. So buckle up because it's it's a ride. Enjoy. Greetings. Hello, hello. Welcome to the season one finale of Alex's Fun Little Podcast. It comes at a perfect time because we're going to be taking about the next two weeks to get ready for our move. And it just made sense for this season to be capped at 24 episodes. And I'm, I, I really can't believe it. It feels like we just started the podcast last week. I can't believe we're 24 episodes deep. And I, I do just want to start by saying, Thank you so much to everyone who has listened, who has posted about it, who has shared it with friends, who has left a review. I, I can't tell you what that means to me and to Michael. And it's it's just been a dream. Of, of all my content forms, I have loved doing this podcast so much. My hope for season two is just that it continues to grow and we're able to cover more topics on disability and life and mental health. I always want this podcast to be a place you can come to and feel joy, but also hopefully feel uplifted and maybe like you learn something or maybe something you can go tell a friend or it feels like you've talked to a friend. You've just hung out with someone because I, I know firsthand loneliness is incredibly tough, especially in these times. And I want this to be a place that you come and, and feel like you've got someone because you do. So thank you for that, first and foremost. Second of all, I want to address something um, before we get into the next season. And it's the use of a word that I was made aware of this week by one of my friends on Instagram. And it's a word that I have used for forever and was completely unaware that it had roots in ableism. I often use the word dumb to describe something silly. Like I always am saying, oh, dumb little bag, dumb little shoes. I always thought I was reclaiming the word based off like childhood when somebody would be like, oh, you're acting so dumb. I'd be like, no, like it's okay to be silly. It's okay to be weird. And I thought I was reclaiming that word. I was 100% completely unaware that the word had ableism at its origin. Dumb has roots going back to old English language when it was actually used to describe someone who was unable to speak. And as language progressed, it became an offensive term to use towards the deaf community. Listen, when you know better, you can do better. And I really appreciate my friend on Instagram saying, hey, I have this, you know, kind of feedback for you. If you don't want to hear it, I won't tell you, but I do want to bring it up if you're willing to hear it. And I was like, of course I do. So now that I know, I will actively work to not use this word in my real life or on social media or on this podcast. I can absolutely just say silly little outfit, silly little bag. And I know there's people out there that would say, you know, have the reaction of, what do you mean? I've been using that word since I was little, whatever. But I'm in the camp of when somebody tells me that something I'm doing could be hurtful or offensive to them. I want to be able to take a step back and be like, listen, I can make an easy, easy change here to make it so somebody feels more welcome here or feels comfortable or included. And I think we should all be acting that way. So I just wanted to give that note. I know I've, I've used the word 
um, in previous podcast episodes and ahead of season two, this is a word we will not be using any longer. And we'll do our best. So for this finale, season one finale episode, I wanted to do kind of like a get to know me, which I know a lot of people that listen to the podcast have been following me on Instagram for years, you know, really are what feels like a part of my life and my past. And I'm usually pretty open online about who I am, where I come from, what I do. But I thought this would be a good opportunity to get more in depth about that. There are definitely some things that I've been elusive about on Instagram or have not shared with the community. And before we go into the next season, I want this episode to be a reference point of, okay, who is this person? Like, who is this person through my speakers, in my car? And so I I just wanted to have this episode be that. And to supplement that, because I, I didn't just want to talk about myself for like 45 minutes. I mean, I kind of do. Because I think deep down, like I have narcissistic tendencies, but don't we all? It's not just me. But I downloaded this app where you could ask me like anonymous questions. And some of them I will not be answering. Like someone asked if I've ever skinny dipped. And honestly, that's not the, it's not time for that. The answer is yes, but I, that's not part of my life story. It's just like a tidbit, but thanks for that. So it's going to be accented by some of the anonymous questions that you ask. I thought some of them also just lead into great topics. And I don't want to start this off like I was born March 25th, 1991. I just wanted to be a, a better feel for what makes me me and why I talk about the things I talk about, like fashion and disability and positivity and mental health. I guess I do kind of have to start it that way. But just for for reference, I guess I've said it before on my back to the beach recaps, which we will keep doing next season. I was born in Laguna Niguel, California. My family moved from California to Chicago to Wisconsin all by time I was like four. So my first like real memories were probably living in Wisconsin. When we were living in Wisconsin, my mom, my dad, my sister, and I, my parents got a divorce. I was in kindergarten at the time. I'll be totally transparent. It's not something I really talk about on Instagram. It's hard for me to talk about, not because I haven't done the work in therapy for the last 10 years. I mean, I've done a ton of work in therapy to, you know, deal with all the different facets of of that part of my life, but it's hard to talk about almost for that reason, because I've had to learn a lot about forgiveness and I've had to learn a lot about my own healing, not dependent on other people's actions or apologies. It was not like an amicable, you know, just, oh, we're going our separate ways divorce. It was incredibly ugly. It left my mom with two kids. My mom had, had always worked, um, you know, in the medical field but it left her with two kids, both under the age of 10 in Wisconsin with no family, really just having to take a completely new direction in her life, uh, unexpected direction. And like I said, it, it was a very traumatic, cruel time in, in our lives. My mom needed a support system. So she moved my sister and I to Michigan. We all moved to Michigan where she's originally from. And it was just so we could be closer to family and people that she knew. And so that right there kind of started shaping who I was in terms of 
this core belief I always had that like life is hard. Like from a very young age, I was like, life is hard. Life is always going to be hard. Things are hard to get. It's stressful. Bad things happen. Bad things always happen because something bad did happen. And so that was kind of the first step in my life of it was just us three girls. I had all these, you know, medical issues from birth that my mom was also dealing with by herself while also trying to raise my sister and make sure that my sister also had enough, you know, really, I'd say love and attention because anybody knows when you have a child with a disability, it's a a life of constant doctor's appointments and maintenance and pain management. And that was my life. Um, I was born with really severe clubbed feet. So clubbed feet is when your feet turn inwards. Mine were extremely severe. In all my baby photos, I have these absolutely actually adorable little casts on my feet. Um, I used to bring them in for like show and tell because I thought I was like, look at how small they are. (laughs) But it was serial casting to try to see if they could get my feet to turn outwards. That didn't work. I grew up having a lot of leg braces, a lot of inserts, constant physical therapy, walking different. Um, I, I would say, you know, growing up, it was the constant, why are you walking like that? Rude, first of all, but kids are going to be kids, but not my kids. That The first words out of my kid's mouth are going to not be, what happened to you? What's wrong? I'm going to teach them right off the bat. We don't do that here. And so when I was in fourth grade, I started having corrective surgeries for my club to be because I, I really just couldn't continue on anymore. Um, I started having corrective surgeries from then on. It was kind of like we fixed one problem and then there was another, we fixed one problem and then there was another, and we just kept going until I was a junior in high school. I had the biggest surgery I'd ever had. And then I took a break for about 10 years until I just had uh, a surgery this past December that I'm still recovering from, but overall I'm feeling pretty good. My disability is extremely dynamic and it's not always visibly apparent. In fact, most days it's actually not. Um, when you see me at the grocery store, at Target, like in a coffee shop, you probably wouldn't guess unless my legs are showing and you can see all my scars that I do have some kind of physical disability. And so my life has really been filled with a lot of eye rolls, a lot of comments, a lot of staring, a lot of why do you need that handicap space? Or why do you need to get on the plane first? Like, filled with judgment. And so it really made me up until honest to God, maybe, maybe two years ago, maybe more recent of me being able to even say on social media in my life, like I have a disability, like I, I am disabled. And I was like, "Mm, no, it's not as bad as somebody else's, or I don't deserve this because you can't really tell that I'm disabled unless I'm using a wheelchair at an amusement park or at the airport, or if I've had a surgery. And even, even when I had this surgery in December and I was using a mobility aid, I felt really conflicted about it because I, I, first I had a wheelchair, then a walker, then a cane. And I almost felt like, wow, people understand me now. The public sees me. Nobody's questioning me when I get into my disabled parking space and I have a cane but they are questioning me when I don't, and I usually don't. And so I I really was hesitant to stop using my mobility aid, even when I didn't feel like I necessarily needed it. I still do need it from time to time. Like for instance, if I am walking through the airport or a long distance, it does really help. 
post-surgery. But it has been the struggle of like, man, people saw me and, and maybe now they don't again. And so it's why I talk about it so much on the podcast is I feel like there's a lot of people out there like me whose disabilities are not always apparent and they change every day, every hour, every minute. Some days I need a ton of help. Some days I need no help at all. Some days I'm in an immense amount of pain. Some days I'm just fine. Some periods of my life, I'm going to the doctor all the time and some none at all. And so part of what I know my life work to be is going to be an advocate for dynamic disabilities and all disabilities and accessibility and universal design. And as much as I'm speaking to people with disabilities to say, hey, I see you, I, I hear you, I understand you. I almost more so want to speak to able, able-bodied people, people without disabilities, because I want them to hear about this struggle and hear how we can all be better, myself included, as, as I gave you know my disclaimer at the beginning of this episode about just how we can be better. Life can already be so hard for people with disabilities, and it would be made so much easier if people without disabilities work just a little bit more to make it easier, to make it more bearable, to go out into public. And so that's really where the origins of my disability advocacy work came from, was me saying, you know, growing up, I always just thought I was different. I always just thought it was me. But it's not just me. It's millions and millions of people. As we've said before, you can you can become disabled at literally any time. It's not a curse. It's not a burden. It happens. But we as a society just have to be better. And so a lot of people, like I get the question all the time, like, how did you get your disability? Where did you, where did it come from? It's lifelong. It's all I've ever known in my entire life. And I'm still constantly every single day learning something new about it, about this community and about the work I can do to help push it forward. I also like to combine that with my love for fashion. I have loved fashion for as long as I can remember getting dressed, putting outfits together, being a little kooky with what I wear forever. This has been part of who I am. But very quickly when I was growing up, I felt very not included, not wanted in the fashion industry because it was so hard for me to find clothes at many points in my life, especially shoes. Oh my God, shoes. I love them. The bane of my existence, truly. I can appreciate them, but looking for shoes for me is feels like an Olympic sport to find something that's going to be comfortable, not a high heel, but not looking like a, a grandma shoe. It has been such a mission. I can't even tell you. And so I went to college for fashion merchandising, not design, one sewing class. I was like, this ain't it. This is not for me. S- actually so bad at sewing. I can't even do a button. All the time, Michael will be like, can you just sew a button for me? I'm like, absolutely not. I cannot. He's like, don't you have a fashion degree? I'm like, unrelated. Unrelated. I was on the merchandising side. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew that I really wanted to be in fashion in this industry that I loved. So naturally, when I graduated, did not go into fashion. Uh, When I graduated, I actually worked for our magazine in Michigan. I was an account executive. And they really got me with like that, your base pay is 30,000, but you can make up to 60K in commission. And and all my brain heard was 60K. I don't want to discount it. It was a fabulous opportunity. I basically 
sold ads for various magazines. And two of them actually were fashion publications. One was the Somerset Collection magazine that goes out the holidays. And then a mall also uh, owned by the same company in Florida, Mall Millennia. I did their magazine ad sales as well. And so like that was cool. I bet I emailed Fendi today, but really it was just like their advertising agency. By the time I thought it was cool, I got to travel to Orlando in August, which was hell on earth. I'm so sorry if you live in Orlando in August. It was it was misery. The humidity. I was in like my Ann Taylor outlet pencil skirts and blouses, absolutely sweating all the way through. It was a great learning experience. It was not for me. It it felt very much like a, a a boys club in a sense where I felt like I was playing this part and it just didn't feel like it was me. And I really missed being a part of fashion. It really wasn't a part of my job. And so I had my heart set on working for a store in Michigan called Linda Dresner. And if you are from the Metro Detroit area and you've walked by Linda Dresner, it basically looks like a, a fashion museum. And it was, it absolutely was. I used to press my face against against the window when I was young and just look at these designs that were like nothing I had ever seen before in my life. And I had my heart set on working at and under Linda Dresner. I knew if we were going to stay in Michigan at the time, it was the best fashion opportunity for me to learn. And so I basically hounded Linda with emails every week for months. Hey, I'm just wondering if you have any job openings. Oh, no, we don't right now, but, you know, we'll let you know. So eventually I just start asking, can I just come in and meet with you? Like, I just want to come in. I want to talk to you. I want to, you know, make your acquaintance. I I was speaking like I was this professional businesswoman when really I was like 23 years old trying coffee for the first time because I thought that would make me a professional. And joke's on me because then I got addicted to coffee. And so I finally got an email back from Linda. She's like, we're doing a photo shoot at the store. We could use an extra hand just kind of being like a runner. Why don't you come in and like help us work on this photo shoot? I took the day off work. I went in for the photo shoot and it was immediate, like love at first sight. I have to be in the store. I have to be a part of this fashion environment. Linda is a fashion absolute icon and is seen in the industry as someone who is a forward thinker, who's completely different. She is a retail just icon. One of the first clients of Comme des Garçons. She brought a lot of the Japanese designers to America, had a store in New York that Jackie Kennedy shopped at, every celebrity wanted to shop at because she was a change maker. She was always ahead of trends and was the first to recognize when a designer was going to be big, like years in advance. So after this photo shoot, I was like, please, please keep me in mind for a job. I want to come. I want to come work for you. A couple months later, a job opened up. I go to work for Linda Dresner. I start on the sales floor as just a sales associate, you know, helping people, which really was an amazing experience. I got to really get to know the clothing, the designers, the artistry of it, but that wasn't enough for me. So my next mission was I want to go on a buying trip with Linda. I want to start being a part of the process of selecting these buys for the store. So it was time for Linda to go to New York. And I said, Linda, I know you have all these buying appointments. Give me a list of all the showrooms you want to go to. 
I will contact each showroom. I will map it out so that it makes perfect sense where you're going on what day. They're all in the same neighborhoods. And I will organize this entire trip for you. She's like, yeah, okay, that would be great. That'd be really helpful. So I do it. I contact all the showrooms. I organize all the appointments, even dinners, everything. And I give her this whole itinerary. And she's like, wow, this is amazing. This takes so much off my plate. So then, of course, I'm like, Linda, now that I know the schedule, now that I did this, can I come with you? I will pay for my own hotel. I will pay for my own plane ticket, which a little naive at the time. I was doing a service, but that's how badly I wanted to go. She's like, you know what? Sure. If you can get there, you can come on all these appointments. You can come to New York for the week. So she, I, I flew out there with Linda. I stayed at what can only be described as it was a janitor's closet. I was at a hotel and I was straight up in the janitor's closet. I, it was under a hundred dollars a night. It was basically very close to Times Square and I could not like my suitcase like and me could not be in the same part of the room at the same time. I could let, like put my feet in the bed and use the toilet at the same time. But I didn't care. Just wanted to be there. And so I go on all these buying appointments with Linda. It kind of changes my path, um, you know, at her store of now I'm a part of these buys. I'm a part of the vision of what the store is going to look like for the next season. And I absolutely loved it. When it was time for her to go to Paris later in the year, I did the same thing. I said, Linda, I will coordinate these. I will help your other assistant who lives in Europe and I will get myself there. I will fly myself there. I will stay in a hotel. Just, I want to go to Paris. So I go to Paris. Absolutely an unbelievable experience going to these showrooms with someone who is seen in such a high regard um, in the fashion world. And I get a lot of questions about my career path a lot. And I think I wanted to specifically focus on this one part of my career because it was the first time that I was in a job. And then I said, I'm, I'm going to create the job that I want. And luckily I was able to do that until I wasn't until I reached the point where I was like, you know what? I, I can't go any further here at the time. Uh, Michael got the job in Las Vegas. We decided to move to Las Vegas So I left that job. When I got to Vegas, I had no job. I was sitting in a cafe every single day, reworking my resume, applying, 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 getting nothing, going on interviews that led to nothing, wasn't passionate about it. And then I really wanted to work at Zappos. That was like my number one thing was I was doing anything and everything to work at Zappos. I took like a tour. I paid to go on a tour and acted like I just wanted to go on the tour, but then I made that into like, oh, let me just talk to somebody in your fashion department. And they didn't have any job openings, but they said, why don't you go work in our customer service center for the Christmas season? I was like, honestly, I'm so bored at home. I'm going to go do that. I love talking to people. I worked in the customer service center for about three weeks and at Christmas time. And I had the best time ever. I got to talk to people all day. If you've ever had experience with Zappos, it's basically like, listen, you make the best judgment. If you want to give this person something for free, go ahead. If we messed up and they didn't get their shoes on time, just overnight it to them free of charge and then refund them. You were basically just got to be the judge of like what happens in customer service. There was no real guidebook for that. I had so much fun just talking to people every day, making their day, making it right. It was an unbelievable environment to work in. And three weeks in, I got another job. I worked for a a uh, luxury shoe designer that was based out of here in Vegas 
And I did that for about two years, you know, kind of got back into the fashion industry, which was wonderful. And then in August of last year, I made the switch into tech, which one of the questions on my anonymous questions was, what do you actually do for work? And like, honestly, thank you. I, I love the like bluntness here. It, it was, what is your quote, real unquote job? My real job is that I work for a beauty live streaming platform called Newness. Uh, it started out with me streaming on there. And then two years later, I applied for a job on the community side. I got it. I work remote. And so my job is to basically talk to creators, implement programs for creators and the community. And I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. I love getting to think about what's best for creators and talk to them and just say, hey, what do you what do you want out of this? And it's just been such a wonderful experience, completely new environment for me to work in a more tech startup setting. But it was the change that I wasn't expecting to make in my career. If I'm being totally honest, I thought I would kind of be in fashion forever. I had some experiences in my previous job that kind of turned me sour on fashion. I can't tell you how many times I'd be in a room and I was like, I should be really happy about this. I should be loving this. And I don't, I feel like other, I feel like an outsider. I feel very different. There were even moments where I would be in Paris and would be at an event with top industry professionals. That's not like a, like a, a humble brag. Oh yes. I was in the room with Bella Hadid. It was just rooms that I was like, I should be absolutely thrilled to be in this room. And I would leave and I would go cry in my hotel room because like, I, I don't belong here. This, this doesn't fit. I can't wear high heels. I feel different. I can't stand. So now I'm sitting in a corner and everybody just wants to talk to who's ever the most important person here. So nobody's thinking about me. Nobody wants to come talk to me. Or if I approach someone, nobody cares. And so when I moved into tech, I was like, you know what? I think I've got to get out of fashion in a professional capacity for a little bit. And I wanted to go somewhere where I felt like people actually mattered and it was an inclusive mission. And so doing that now for my work has been incredibly rewarding and I'm really enjoying it. So that's my, my real job. And because I can work remote, it makes our move to Michigan really easy. I, I don't think I need to go into it again. This whole like Las Vegas, Michigan thing kind of already did that on a previous episode, which you can go back to. If you haven't listened, if you haven't, why not? I'm just kidding. I don't want to yell at anybody ahead of season two. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be a good look for me. But the reason I wanted to give all this context, you know, just a more in-depth get to know me it seems a little cliche to like start at your childhood and work your way up through like career and school and degrees and divorce and family things. But I want you to feel like you know me. I want whoever listens to this podcast to be like, you know what, I can relate to that or I can relate to her or I can't relate, but I want to learn or just understand even where I'm coming from on certain topics. I think we like to put these rose colored glasses on, on social media and show the best parts of our life. And like, I'm so organized or I, I exercise every morning or I'm drinking water with lemon, but really it's like, actually I feel that I can't do those things without telling you 
who I am and being very real about that. Had a traumatic divorce when I was a child. I felt like an outcast at school a lot of the time because I was in and out of wheelchairs. I've had many jobs where I went home and I cried because now if you go on my Instagram, I'm like, love my job, love my life, love my dog, love my friends. But it wasn't always that way. There have been many times in my life where I've been unbelievably depressed, where I have felt like there is no getting out of this, that this is just the way life is. Life is hard. It's always been hard. It's been hard since I was in kindergarten when my parents got divorced. It was hard in fourth grade when I had surgeries and couldn't play at recess. It was hard in high school when my boyfriend broke up with me because I, like, he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle me being in a wheelchair. It was hard in college when I felt completely undesirable and ugly and like nobody would ever want me because I hated my body and how could anybody love my body because I hated it so much. It was ugly and filled with scars. Those, that context matters. And we don't always get to get to that online because how are, how are you? Am I going to log on to Instagram stories and be like, so guys, when I was in college, um, I let guys treat me like absolute shit because I thought that's what I deserved. One of the questions is, what was your vibe in college? And like, I love that question. Um, describe your vibe in your college years. My vibe was, it was the first time kind of away from my mom. I think many people with disabilities will relate to when you have a disability, you need a lot of help. And so I kind of had to like cut the tether from my mom in college. And it was very scary to me, but it was also very exciting because I was like, wow, it's the first time on my own. I can be whoever I want to be. I don't have to be totally defined by my, my disability. Because of course, everybody in elementary school, middle school, high school had seen me go through these different stages of my disability, but not here in college. I can be whoever I want, do whatever I want. And unfortunately, that means I let just like, I, I really did uh, feel like I hate my body it is ugly. It is undesirable. And therefore, like any guy that's interested in me, like I'm so lucky. And it literally does not matter how they treat me. They can treat me like absolute garbage shit and make me feel terrible. And it's fine because that is what I deserve. And don't get me wrong. Had a great time in college. Met some of my, my most wonderful friends. Learned a lot. Had a great time. But I think at the root of it all, it was an unbelievably insecure time in my life and trying to figure out who I was didn't happen until after college because I was just trying to be cool. I was trying to be a cool girl. The one that wears like a bandage skirt and a tank top and is down for whatever and can drink out of the kit. Like I get these are a lot of times like shared college experiences and kind of a rite of passage, but I would think my, my vibe was like, very much I'm trying to figure out this balance of who I am and I didn't get there even until just a few years ago even so like when I met Michael my senior year or his senior year of college my junior year Michael and I went through like many phases of our relationship because I think we were both figuring it out like who are we what are we going to be and luckily we were able to go through those changes together and come together and they didn't tear us apart but it was my first kind of experience of oh, this is someone like that wants to treat me nice and isn't going to make me feel bad. And that was, that was different. So my values, whether it's in real life or on this podcast or on Instagram are inclusion, 
honesty, transparency, and compassion and empathy. I want to put out into the world the things that I always craved from it. I want someone to feel more seen because they interacted with me and my my different forms of, of media. And I want you to feel joy and happiness when you come to any of my spaces in real life or online. People often ask me, how do you stay so positive? Well, how are you always so positive? I'm not, first of all. I have my days. I have my moments. I, When I get overwhelmed, I tend to really like shut down, as many of us do. But the biggest change I've made in my life is that I can't wait for things to be good for it to be happy. So I learned how to laugh at myself. I learned how to laugh at insane situations. When I had this last surgery, I had to use like a, a bedside toilet because I couldn't get to the bathroom. And like normally... I probably would have been like, when Michael has to come in and is like, do I need to empty your bedside toilet? I'm like, oh, life sucks. It's so embarrassing. Why me? And now I'm like, I'm laughing about it. I still laugh about it. I'm like, oh my God, Michael, remember when you were emptying my bedside toilet every single day? Like you have to be able to laugh at these things for life to be enjoyable. And it's almost like gets you to that positive point and makes things lighter. But I just couldn't wait for things to get good to be happy. And like the real secret to that is then when you just stop waiting, then life actually does get good because you're happier because you didn't wait because you decided that even though this situation is shit, it doesn't mean my life is. I've got to look to the good. Even when I've been in the lowest of the lowest of the low, I'd be like, what, what is one good thing? Like, what is one good thing? And it would literally be like, there's a new episode of Gossip Girl on tonight. Like, that's good. Like, even picking up on the smallest, tiniest things. And now I've been able to take that. And in the morning, I'm like, I'm going to, I know I'm going to have a really busy day at work today. I'm like, okay, this 15 minutes that I am doing a face mask and enjoying my coffee is bliss. This is heaven. This is heaven on earth because I have cultivated it to be that. That's probably one of the most important things moving to Las Vegas has given me is the ability to take a moment a mundane moment and say to myself, isn't this is amazing. Sitting outside for 20 minutes, having a snack, drinking a, a, a nice drink that I've made for myself. This is heaven on earth. I'm not waiting for heaven to travel. I'm not waiting for it in a trip. I'm not waiting for it when I do something really cool. I'm getting it multiple times a day getting in bed at night and watching a TV show with Michael. I'm like, this is ever, this is everything. Oh my gosh, this is the best thing in the world. And growing up, I used to be like, nope, it's going to be when I'm like at award shows and traveling to Italy and have my luxury car. It's not it. The older you get, you realize those things are great. They're awesome. They're wonderful accents to your life. Sure. But bliss and joy can come every day if you see the littlest things for what it is. And that is happiness. And that is how I stay positive. And that's how I like to just run my life and this podcast and pretty much everything I do. It's not every day, but I I really make a conscious effort for that. 
I think I'm going to do a rapid fire because you guys were so nice in asking these anonymous questions, but there were just some that didn't fit into like today's category of my life story. So I think I'm just going to do like a rapid fire of, of ones that you asked. Okay. Ready? Who is your last snap from? I do not use Snapchat. I am a millennial that deleted it many, many years ago. I guess snap, like Michael has snapped at me to get my attention and I didn't like it. So let's say Michael. Are you weirded out when people recognize you and say hi in public? Not at all. Um, You guys have made me into a fame monster. I get what Lady Gaga is saying. If you see me out and about somewhere and you come up and say, hey, I follow you or I listen to you, just know that I am riding that high for the next six months. And nothing can literally bring me more joy. It's made me into a little bit of a monster, but... We'll deal with that later in therapy. What happened to all the fashion bloggers? TikTok, Insta, Snap. It's not the same. I miss the in-depth commentary. Uh, Content is rewarded when it's in short form. And so everybody's really used to now getting content in quick 30-second increments. Fashion influencers and bloggers know that you're probably not going to read an entire blog post, an article, People are getting with the trend, I would say, of content, which I miss. Like I, I used to have a blog, The Nines, and I loved writing long-form content. But I think people know it's just kind of not rewarded anymore. And so they're just moving on, sadly. Most expensive item you own? Uh, my bone stimulator. <laughs> I There's my bone stimulator. There's nothing more to say there. That thing was stupid expensive, but it's growing my, it's healing my bones. So I guess it's worth it. Somebody said, would you ever get with me? No, I wouldn't. I am married. But thanks. Your family name is interesting. Does it have an ethnic background? Um, I assume you mean my married name, which yes, uh, Michael, it's of Lebanese descent. Michael is half Lebanese. And so it's a Lebanese last name. I've been told that it's actually kind of like Smith in Lebanon, Ayub, and it's usually spelled with an O, but at some point somebody probably wanted to kind of like change it. And so now that I do have like this Lebanese last name, I love going around and being like, marhaba, shukran, when like, I, I'm actually not Lebanese. It's just, it's just my, my married name. The best advice you've ever received. I would say I just said it. Um, don't, don't wait for things to be good to be happy. That and always carry a modium in your purse. Any tips on how to travel luxuriously when you don't make luxury money? Your trips always look so amazing. Thank you. Uh, I do feel Michael and I are... The, the kings and queens of traveling luxuriously when you don't have money. We pick and choose, first of all, what we're going to spend money on. If we're renting a car, it does not need to be a nice car. We recently went to Northern California and our car was literally a tin can that I was extremely worried about on the freeway. Save money there. We also always try to get hotels on point. Always try to get hotels on points. If not, we just use like the cheap, cheapest option on booking.com because you're usually not spending a lot of time in the hotel room. So it doesn't need to be this big luxury thing. We'd rather spend our money on like activities or eating, things like that. We all, we do a lot with like credit card points. Michael like is on top of that. And he's just like, I got this on points. I'm like, fabulous, great. So we do a lot of that. Like most hotels we do stay in, if they're nice, are always on points. Living in Las Vegas, we'd always drive a lot of places, which would usually end up saving us money. What's the most Midwestern thing about you? Ooh, I would say I didn't realize how much I said, oh, until I moved to Las Vegas. And people are like, what the actual shit are you saying? Oh, like if I'm, I'm telling you this, oh, excuse me. 
then we're always seeing those memes like you know you're from the midwest and you say oh but i was like i don't say that and then i got here and i was in target and i was like oh excuse me that's definitely it do you consider yourself a midwesterner at heart like is a love of casseroles embedded in your dna yeah i love casseroles so yes i, I would say that's a part of my dna like a tuna noodle casserole Ooh, yeah definitely and I do consider myself a Midwesterner at heart. That's where I grew up. And I have the opes to prove it. And then again, have you ever gone skinny dipping? You know what? I will give you your answer. I have. And to everyone's disappointment, I'm not going to tell you anything more about it. <laughs> or no one's disappointed. Who hasn't? You know, when you're feeling like rebellious, like, oh my God, let's go sneak into this pool. And we did. And that was probably the most rebellious thing I did as a teen. So that tells you about who I was as a teen. Well, again, so we did this in a previous episode and I would just like to do it again. And it's a hype up for one of our five-star reviewers on Apple. If you would be so kind to leave a review on the podcast in the Apple podcast app, because that just helps us get higher in the ranks. It helps it get suggested to people maybe win an award someday. Who knows? So I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a written review. Like Rachel Klein. Rachel said, Alex is the best. My head is so big right now. This podcast makes me feel like I'm just hanging out with one of my gal pals and having a good chat. It's fun and light and also covers important topics like disability. A little bit of everything. Thank you, Alex, for continuing the conversation around disability and completely being yourself with us strangers. The pod is a new weekly ritual for me. Well, you know what, Rachel? I'm going to make it a weekly ritual to praise you and say how awesome and wonderful and amazing you are. How kind it was that you took time out of your day. Not to mention, I see when you did this and it was on my birthday. You are such a kind, wonderful soul for taking the time to leave this review, to be an amazing angel on the internet and give your kind words and put them out there. You are magnificent and spectacular and beautiful and capable and wonderful. And I am always rooting for you. You are so amazing. You can do anything. You can be anything. And I celebrate you today and every day. Love you and see you for season two, Rachel. And I hope to see all of you for season two. Some amazing, amazing things are going to be coming up. As always, if you have anything you want to hear about on the pod, feel free to message me on Instagram at Alexandra A-Y-Y-Y. It was supposed to be like Alexandra A, but it really just became A-Y-Y-Y, and that's fine. I would like to also thank our sponsors from this season. We had Botany Box and Lip Gloss Boss step up as small businesses to be ads for this season, and I'm eternally grateful to them. Botany Box for all your succulent needs. Lip Gloss Boss for all your lip gloss needs. They are two incredible small women-run businesses. So please go support them. I always put the discount codes for them in the bio of the episode. And they're giving good discounts, so makes it really even easier to support. I love you all so much. Have a great few weeks, and we will see you back here for season two. Love ya. Love ya.